Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Bonjour, mes amis, et bon bienvenue dans ce podcast. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Live, the live version of the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so make sure you get involved. Get involved. If you're watching on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, a very special welcome to you all and make sure that you get involved and send us your questions, comments and banter throughout the show. We'll do our best to respond to each of them as the evening progresses. My name is Ando and with me are my usual teammates, Mitch, hey, Rev, G'day. and our illustrious guest, Wallaby Brumby, husband and father, Ben Alexander. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Mate, glad you came back after the first show. We couldn't have done too bad. <laughs> glad I got us back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, mate, it's all good. It's all good. So uh, this is the second in a three-part series before each Wallaby test match. The next episode will be on Thursday the 15th before the final game and once the teams have been announced. It'll be on at 8 p.m. as per tonight, as per usual, available on all major social media platforms, so make sure you tune in. Well, why don't we get into things? That's enough chat that's enough about me and the pod mitch i believe that you had a rugby related question that you wanted to ask ben yeah i do so ben you've got um a lot of years playing professional rugby we want to know what the weirdest or the most unusual thing that happened to you on a rugby field was on a rugby field yeah uh i don't know they've put me on the spot there a few unusual <laughs> things happened off the field but, uh, on the <laughs> can field. imagine at school one bloke had a snickers bar and started eating it in on the field once when we were like under in year eight or nine Phil Romo. So that'd be that's that's one that sticks out. Just yeah, middle middle of the ruck just started yeah, snacking on a Snickers bar. So yeah, don't know what was going on there, but there you, you didn't go. try to pull one out when you were packing down for the Wallabies. Nah, nah, plenty <laughs> before or something. Plenty before, but not not during. Plenty before and after, but never during. So um, yeah, no, no, no. It's hard hard to remember anything like real weird or crazy. But uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's about as best as I can get for you. <laughs> Oh, we'll take it. Snickers is good. <laughs> All right. Well, All right, why don't Mitch, we are you going to lead us in? in? I am. Let's dive into the result. And we are very lucky to be sitting here and talking about a Wallabies victory tonight. Very nearly didn't come in the last final few minutes of the game. Really sort of Queensland Reds-esque snatching the victory from the French. So if we look at the final results, full-time score was 23 points to Australia, 21 to France. Now, two tries apiece. Uh, Australia kicked two of their conversions. France only kicked one. Uh, Noah Alessio nailed all three of his penalty goals for 100% kick percentage success, whereas France only got 80%. Um, why don't we? Enough of the sort of stats and things. We want to dissect the game. I'll throw this one first to you, Rev. Did France deserve to lose this game? Um, I don't know if they deserve to lose. I, I think they didn't uh, really capitalize on how well they'd started. And, you know, a bit of that might be down to Wallaby's errors or things perhaps that um, perhaps they weren't controlling all that much. But they were looking pretty solid uh, set-piece-wise and looking pretty solid um, with some set moves. And obviously they got some flashy backs and, um, as we sort of predicted, some forwards that can offload and keep the ball alive. But I, I don't think that they deserve to lose that one. I think the Wallabies got pretty lucky, really, if we're being honest. Um, there was that sense that we would come back and win it, but gee, we didn't really look like it the first half in particular. I guess you were out there as well at the game, Rev. What was the atmosphere like in the crowd? Atmosphere of the second half was awesome. 
Um, especially towards the end, I think the last sort of 12 minutes, there was that sense of, gee, we're close and we can do it. Like, this is an exciting team. Um, feedback for the first half, uh, really, really dire. Um, a lot of people around us, including the group I was with and some of the families behind and in front of us, saying it's the worst test match they've ever been to um, from that first half. And it was it was pretty fair. Like, that wasn't a good first half of rugby. Um, you know, the worst they've ever been to. Maybe they haven't been to that many. But it wasn't <laughs> a solid start. Um, so I, I think the second half salvaged a lot of uh, hope for the Wallabies. Yeah, that was one of the things I, I thought of sitting in, at home watching the game is in that first first half particularly, they didn't feel like there was much atmosphere in the stadium. There wasn't a whole lot of noise generating the cameras. It definitely didn't... The, the crowd wasn't the same as um, the final of Super Rugby AU, but it didn't feel like the same kind of buzz that was in the in the stadium as there was around that game. Um I'll throw this one to you, Benny. What did the Wallabies get wrong? Oh, this is their first hit out as a team for you know, seven or eight months. So it's always rusting. It's always the first time. The first time all the team, the super players, all come together. You're gonna you're gonna make mistakes. But I thought they did really well to salvage um, to. to yeah, to not give up and get the win because, yeah, the French did build a nice lead early and they did look in a bit of trouble and I've been a part of some tests, like Samoa's one in particular, Scotland and Newcastle, you know, we first test for the year and and we didn't, we you know, we didn't um, pull a win out of our hat. So yeah. um, I thought the guys did well. Um, for their for their first hit out. Yeah, and Ando, what what were your thoughts around this? I just think that there was a lot of rustiness from the fact that it was a first hit out, as Benny said, and we just got really unlucky. Like if you look at Tom Banks's touch that didn't make uh, uh, touch finder that didn't actually make touch, it only just doesn't make touch and if it's like half a meter to the right it's one of the best touch finders that an australian player has kicked in the last 12 months so the margin was tiny then you look at paisami's disallowed try for the forward pass from gordon that everyone's ragging on him about it was marginally forward just just marginally another another game we would have had that allowed and so there were just these small errors that we really did for 25 minutes of the game and then after the 25th minute of the first half, the French barely had any time in our half. And we basically controlled the game, but just weren't able to capitalize and convert. So there were still some inaccuracies in our attack, but the French really didn't look like scoring a try after the 25th minute. So yeah, early early errors that, they, that the French were good enough to capitalize on. Um, but I think we did tighten things up and... Yeah, I think we're looking. There, there are some positive points moving forward. Did anyone see how that ball spilled out of that that first try? We had a nice rock solid scrum, and then all of a sudden the ball spits out and France scored. Did anyone? I didn't really get to see how that happened. Yeah, that there just... was um, there was a bit of a, a fumble by Jake Gordon as he went to pick the ball up, but at the same time uh, the scrum sort of shifted at the last minute to the left, and Harry Wilson had the ball at his feet, and he ended up kicking it with the outside of his um, foot out in front, and that's how it sort of spurred out as well. So it was a little was bit unlucky. Yeah, that and and Jake Gordon, I thought he had a great game, but he just made that one little misread where he might have been trying too hard to shoot out the back and and sort of overread the play. If you take those two, that one play and the scrum out, Wallabies win that game quite easily, I believe. So no, that's right. probably one Let's of the big. On. Um, yeah, you go. Riff. I was going to say that's one of the big issues tying in with um, Benny's point is also what Ando was saying about our missed opportunities. We've mentioned mm-hmm. the Gordon forward pass. But like if um, Paisami does that little crossfield kick to Callaway and it stays in field, uh, if we don't knock on it back of that scrum, um, 
if we have a bit of a cleaner line out at the end of the first half, you know, might be we milk a penalty out of that or something like that. Like, there's all these opportunities where if everything goes our way, we end up winning quite comfortably, you know, like by 30 or 40 points if we um, really defend and nail every attacking opportunity. So I, I think that was just a sign of the rustiness. And Tom Wright, uh, Paisami put that beautiful little yeah. rubber through and, and, and Tom Wright should have scored that. So, yeah, there's yeah. A, lot, a lot of good signs. Yep. Absolutely. Mitch, I might help question. you on this one, mate, and I yeah. might read this question out because I created Go for it. it. Um, <laughs> so on a scale of zero to 10, zero, if you're a French person, you don't kick the ball out after the siren to lose the game twice in a year, to 10 being Ryan Wanigan getting a winning penalty kick after the siren to get your team to win. What do you rate this game, zero to 10, from an Australian perspective? Let's start off with you, Rev. Uh, from zero to 10, probably a four. Um, <laughs> yep. And look, that's... I think a large part because I was at the game live watching it. When I watched it on replay, it wasn't as bad and there was a lot to like. Uh, and if we were just doing it by halves, you know, it'd be completely different. Um, the first half was pretty ugly to watch and just a lot of rust trying to get that together. But at the end of the day, it is a Wallabies win, so really it should be a bit higher. Um, but I, I, I think there was just so much there that you wanted to see them do better. And you know that they can, that you know they're capable of, um, but just so many new combinations and especially the 9, 10, 12, 13, all from different clubs. Um, yep. Just no continuity or cohesion going on through there. So I think now that they've named you know a similar team, we'll get into that later, um, that's going to help them a great deal. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a really good point of discussion moving forward. Now, it's always nice to have someone agree with you. So Alan Henwood <laughs> likes your comment there. So there you go, mate. Uh, Benny, 0 to 10. Oh, I'll give it a 6. But touch on the Rev's point, you never it, the game's never as bad. It, when, when you think you've played bad, when you go back and watch it, you're never as bad as you think you are. And on the flip side, if you think you've played the house down, when you go and watch the footage, you generally you didn't play as well as you thought you did either. <laughs> so I, I honestly think if you take everything into um, account, it's not, you know, they didn't blow the, the roof off the place. It's unbelievable. But first game... Uh, managed to dig themselves out of a hole. I'll, I'll give them a six. Mitch? Yeah, I agree with Benny. I, I was thinking six. Um, similar to what Rev was saying before, two halves. First half, very rusty. New combinations. A lot of things didn't... The bounce of the ball didn't go the Wallabies way, but they, they settled into the game. And in that second half, they set a really good platform moving forward. Um, and I, as a Wallabies fan, I've we've sat in that position so many times before where it comes to the final minutes. We're down by a few points and they somehow managed to lose it, even if we're in front. So the fact that this team was able to hang in there to convert to, to get two or three penalties in that last phase and then convert it at the end there and, and take the, the victory off the French. That was that was massive in my book. So um pretty happy to get the win and in the way that they did it as well to claw back into the game. And I think it lays a good platform moving forward for this young team. And I think the penalty count the, the penalty count was massively in our favor as well. So that was good discipline. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought that that's a good sign as well going forward. Mitch, I'll leave it to you now to go through the other questions we had. All right. Um, there was a fair bit of criticism directed towards Banks, Gordon, and Tamua. Was this deserved? And I'll throw to you first, Rev. Um, to get in a lot of the early opportunities to discuss, this is great. Um, <laughs> I, I think with those three players, um, you know, one or two things happen differently and everyone's, you know, saluting them for being national heroes. So it's hard to say that, um, you know, they were bad. I think Banks, part of the criticism is that people don't see an alternative, so they think he's getting the jersey just because, you know, just for showing up. But he, he had a great game other than that early touch finder and one wayward kick. Um, and they're very easy things to iron out of his game. And we've seen him, you know, be able to do those things. So I think, he, you know, he gets those, you know, slight things differently. The first touch finder goes a meter to the right. He finds touch, we maybe score off it. Um, that, you know kick that he kicks out on the field. If it's another two metres to the left, it stays in. Maybe we attack well off it, we retain position. You know, anything can happen. So Banks, I don't think so. Gordon um, didn't have a great uh, 
first half in particular. I think a lot of um, my mates at the stadium saying, um, you know, he was brought into the squad for his kicking and passing, and they were probably two of the things that didn't look that good. We saw right towards the end of the first half as well. Um, Wallaby's hot and attack, and a momentum-killing pass just went a bit too low for Paisami. So not a great game, but, you know, his first start since 2018, I think, when he played Italy. So what do you expect when you don't get that many opportunities? I think he's going to have a good second game. Uh, and Tamua, he was just quiet. Um, I didn't really notice him in there, but he didn't do anything atrocious. So I think he needs to get a bit more involved in the lead. He's in the back line as the experienced player. So if he you know, can take a few more kicks or set up a few more running opportunities for the other outside backs, then they'll be stoked. A lot of the perspectives that I've seen about Tamua have been pretty negative towards him, particularly from the extent that they expected more from him in terms of defensive quality, in terms of just calming the back line down, which is kind of what Jason Sherman is saying here within this quote. Um Benny, did you see much that Mu was doing wrong? He, he had one time early in the first half where he got burned on the outside, but it's actually because the blocking French runner tripped his legs up a little bit, so he's a bit slow to get back around to that player. Um, did you think Tamua was particularly poor, or how did you rate his game, Benny? No, I just think he had a quiet game. Like, mm. he, he did his job. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he looked to play better. So, no, I think, yeah, Pup, Pup's a great player, and we're very lucky to have him. But, um, yeah, he didn't have his best game, but he didn't have his worst either, so. No, look, look, him to have a much better match this week. That's the thing. He's yeah, he missed, he missed a fair bit of super up. rugby as well, didn't he? Did he? He missed a fair bit of super. Yeah, he, came, he was. In, I think he was not even supposed to play this test. So, um, with yeah, the neck he, injury, I think. he was so, out early this early in the preparation with a neck injury, and he only sort of just came in at the last minute. So I mean, he was quiet for mine, but I think he'll build into that. He's been playing most of his super rugby for the Rebels at ten this season as well. So he only shifted out to twelve in the last two or three games in that Trans Tasman comp. So to go into a test match when you've been playing 10 out of position, he's the only back, he's the only player in the Wallabies that was selected out of a position he was playing in for the Super Rugby AU and Trans-Tasman. So he probably will take time to get back into his groove. Um, but we know that he's an he's an experienced player. He's one of our biggest, our most experienced backs in the back line at the moment. So I don't see anyone else that we could put in over the top of him that's going to deliver as good a performance straight away. No, and but and the well not the criticism, but the expectation is warranted. You know, if Wallabies are going to win and you know beat the All Blacks and beat some of the best teams in the world, Pup's going to have to be right at the top of his game because he's a super crucial player. Yeah. All right, we'll throw this last one to you, Rev. Um, were there any French players who stood out? I think, as we touched on with the last um, podcast and the live video, there were a few sort of positions we thought were going to be really strong. We thought that their uh, back row would be really good in the offloads because they're quite big and dominating. And we saw, I think, with that first try, um, Demba Bumba, their tight head prop, um, offloaded to a really nice ball to Makalu, who then offloaded to Geelong. So we got two of the back rowers there in tandem. Um, he, in turn, offloaded to Kuyu, the halfback, and then out to Dante, who set up the first try and set up the second try. So the players that we're talking about were still the key figures. So Geelong is captain, um, 18 tackles and 13 runs. He was the most involved player on both sides. Um, and then Dante setting up both tries. His big frame, I thought it was going to be used for carries. It was really used for defense. You know, he made 13 tackles, which I think was the most across both teams. Um, and the whole French back line, really, they made 44 from 48 tackles. So they were just super solid in defense. Um, a lot of what we were sort of discussing there, I think, ca- came true. You know, they're going to have really fleet-footed uh, wingers. And we saw the two tries, just really quick work from Villieri. Uh, they've got that big um, inside center, Dante, who's going to play there again, I think, this weekend. And it's just such a mastermind for attack and defense and leads their team really well because he affected a few turnovers. But then I think it- it's hard to go past um, Jalanche's man of the match for that French side. I mean, he was first-time captain. He's only played nine tests, and he stood out really um, in breakdowns, in tackles, in 
his hit-ups and in setting up that first try. So I think he's going to be hard to look past and he will start again uh, next test. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with Villieri, the number 11 on the wing. I, I was saying yeah. this to the boys before we went live, but he reminded me of a bit of a, a Harry Wilson for the French. He was pretty strong over the ball and he's got the headgear as well. So he's my little French Harry Wilson. <laughs> I think we'll throw this last question to the Jason's brought in before we move on to the next segment because um, I feel like it's got some good merit behind it. But he feels like Hunter Paisami has a unique rugby vision similar to a young Quade Cooper. How do we learn? How does he he learn to control that and know when to make those crazy plays or when to hold the ball? Might throw that to you, Benny. Just practice, practice, and the more he's in those big games and the more he's out there, the calmer he is. He'll he'll just see those options. You know, those great players like Dan Carter and Bernie Larkham. They always just seem to make the right play, and I think they just it just comes with experience and just um, knowing when opportunities are on, and then just backing himself to to execute the skill that's required. So now just practice and time. Yeah, perfect. All right, Ando, do you want to take us through the next part? All right, guys, this is going to be, without a shadow of a doubt, a little bit janky, but that's okay. <laughs> You're going to have to lay in, stay in there with us. So basically what we're going to do now is we're going to get up a couple of short clips of footage from the game and we're going to track through a couple of points of interest that we wanted to discuss or analyze in a little bit more detail. So we're going to be starting off with Benny talking about some of the kick returns. So let me get that prepared. Um, Benny, why don't you talk us through what you want us to keep an eye out for before I get the footage rolling? Yes, I'll first start by saying it's a bit ironic, a front rower talking about kick returns. But um, (laughs) whenever we played the Kiwi sides, the All Blacks or even the Chiefs, Dave Rennie's old side, we, we put so much time into our kick and our chase line because they were so dangerous on kick return. Even just one little slight um, disconnected in the defensive wall, they would just exploit it. So I just, I haven't watched the replay of the game, but just sitting at the pub watching it, I just noticed we were getting little half half breaks and we were moving the ball around a lot when we were returning it. We weren't just catching it and running back to the line or, or just one pass and run. We were doing multiple passes. We were doing switches and we are really trying to test the, the French defensive line. So... I don't know if that this day the Wallabies have been practiced or it's been um, maybe the French defensive line was a little bit disjointed, so there was a bit of space. But I just thought we played with the ball a lot in kick return. And the main benefit of that is obviously, apart from line breaks, if you can get over the advantage line when you went um, or a half break when you're returning the ball, straight away you get momentum for the next phase. And it's easy. You mean your forwards don't have to run back as far. And I know I love that as a, as a tight type uh, front rower trying to run back to the attack. If our fullback makes a half break and makes a 20-metre run, that's 20 metres less further I had to run to get back on side. So, um, All right, let's have a look at this then. And uh, if you want me to pause at any point, let me know, but we'll just check out one of the earlier kick returns within the game. So obviously there's no sound to this footage. Yeah, I don't know if this is the best clip for it, but it is something I think you'll see, Dave, like if... Um, so yeah, Banks gets it there. Brings into Lola Cio, pass it out to Corin Betty, who brings it back in, gets his shoulders through, and then back up to the halfway. And now and they so, got a quick ball. Yeah, so I'll show it one more time. Basically, we get the ball. Kuyu gets it ready, plays it down to the edge. First quick immediate pass to Lola Cio, who's in the middle. Lola Cio, second pass wide. Corin Betty comes back in and gets his arms and shoulders through and gets about an extra three meters after the tackle. And so we get a second one there, but we won't watch that one. So, Benny, anything you want to talk about from that particular one? Or do you, or is you have? Just pause it. That. Pause it when it gets to Noah. If you go back, just pause when Noah has it. Yep. So a lot of the times when we used to play the Kiwis, they'd pass it in field one, 
And Noah would look that he'd go to, or the the second receiver, whoever Noah is, would look as if he was going to keep playing um, towards the top of the screen. But then they would, they used to, they'd either do a switch or they would dummy and come back from the way they came, hoping that the defenders, so where the loose head prop, the six and the winger, you hope that they sort of switched off thinking, oh, the ball's going midfield and they switch off. And then the Kiwis would always come back and try and catch, um, they'd find, catch your napping. So just that might happen in these next few tests, that if that's sort of what the, the trend the Kiwis used to do and might be something Dave Rennie's trying to trying to bring up in the boys. Brilliant. Well, the next one that we're going to go to in a moment, once I've had a chance to get it ready for us all, is a comment about Wukan Salakaya Loto and his more work for Brendan Payne-Ramosa's try. Now, as I'm getting that ready, I'll just stall and basically say there was a lot of um, negative chat going around about... Um, Wiccan's efforts within the game, a lot of people saying he was pretty anonymous and didn't really get up to much, which I kind of disagreed with. I actually thought he was uh, fairly workmanlike within his efforts. And what we're about to look at now is going to be a really great effort uh, example of that. So, Benny, whilst I'm getting it up, do you just want to say what we're talking about? Yeah, so I've been... I thought, yeah, he was just sort of a just a big body, big ball carry, you know, out there to put big hits on. And uh, Czech used to pick him in the back row, but, but I think his his set piece work's been outstanding. I think he's obviously a big body, so he adds a lot of weight in the scrum. But I really think he's the reason why we get this more try. Um, and I've been really impressed with his line out jumping technique. And uh, so if you could just pause it once the lot when the mall's forming, go up. So pause it. So you can see he he was the front lifter, and he sort of side. So he's trying to buy time and give Matt Phillip and all the guys, it's Harry Wilson, he's trying to give the guy the more time to form and find their shape. So, um, And he's been really strong there at the front. He's nice and low. And he's kind of created a little sort of wall for our mall to then form. And I think he's done really well, especially for a tall guy. That's really hard to do. Um, and then, yeah, we just built a really nice mall off the back of his hard work at the front. I know Pangaramosa sort of gets a lot of the credit for scoring, but you can see he, you can see he's just his head pops up towards the end, but he he bought them all two or three seconds to get formed. He, he hung tight. He got in the way. Um, you know, sometimes refs might penalise that, or in the past they penalise that for obstruction. But he did really well. And whoever the backlifter was, so six, I think that's Robbie Valentini. So he's obviously out of them all now. But um, that try belongs to Rob Valentini and and um, Solakai Lato there. Brilliant. Thank you. And another for... point that I just wanted to throw out before we moved off that one as well is that Lucan Salakai Loto hinges his body around the back and it, it forces the mall to shift to the right, which then allows them to move that momentum towards the try line. So it, it sort of shifts from moving left towards the goalposts and then out towards the corner. Um, all through his just dynamic movement of shifting his feet. And that's what then gives it an extra meter or two, which they end up scoring off. Yeah, no, now, also, I mean, there's obviously... Oh, sorry. No, you go, Matt. You go. Say with, um, obviously, Dan McKellar's first test as forwards coach and the Brums Mall's obviously pretty good. So they would have done a lot of work, but I'd like to see when they had those penalties five meters out right in front of the post to go that center field scrum, because that, you could... It just it's so easy to score from from there but then they made you know that hard kick to the corner to back them all and, and it paid off 
But I think um, look to maybe in this test the Wallabies might play a bit of variation. They might create a mall, but then play off it. They might not drive. Yeah. So um, Dan McKellar wouldn't have pulled all his um, tricks out in this first test. I think they would have just looked to to build the mall and then look to them to play off the mall a bit more. And it actually speaks to how solid our um, set piece was the entire game. We're going to have a look in a moment about some of the scrum penalties that came from Taniela Tupo's injection into the game. But it was really noticeable just how solid our lineout was as well. There were a couple of misses, um, without a doubt. Uh, Brendan Pangomosa, I think, missed one right at the end of the first half. And then Lockie Lonergan got a pretty hard call to throw to the back, the first throw that he has when he comes into the game. <laughs> so those two were tough ones, which um, didn't, didn't hit the target. But beyond that, our lineout was solid. And it was disrupting the French as well, which we'll see in a bit when we look at Darcy Swain's involvement for the final line out of the game. But here I just wanted to, and Benny, I'm going to say some things about scrums. Please jump in and tell me how little I know uh, <laughs> as an international front rower. But basically one of the things that you were commenting about last week for Taniela Tupo is how um, maybe when he gets onto the world stage, some of the referees might give him a bit of hassle for the way that he's been angling in. So what I just wanted to point out here, uh, you also mentioned that if he can get away with it, he should keep going with it. Now here, the referee is on this side of the scrum next to James Slipper, Tupo's on the other side, okay? And it's about halfway in the field or pretty far away from the assistant referee. So there's mm, a fair distance between anybody looking closely at what Tupo's doing. As we see at play here, you see that Slipper and BPA set up straight, very, very straight, straight away. Um, but you can also see that a lot of the pressure is coming directly here, trying to angle in on the French hooker and create the disconnect between the one and the two. And what basically happens is Tupo has a strength to drive into that and basically separate those two. And then he does, his hips do end up coming out, but it's only after that first initial shunt that he gets on. So whilst he is, with the look at this, angling a fair bit, I mean, so is its opposite, who hasn't been able to hold him and stay straight. But it ha it's come after his initial burst of power and the referee is on the other side of the scrum, so can't actually see it. So probably isn't going to ping him for going at an angle anyway. Benny, is what I've said, does what I said there make any sense or have I just spoken out of my ass as somebody that's never been in the front row of a scrum? No, no, that's spot on, spot on. And I think the, it'll, it'll really depend who they play against. So like the French, uh, many I watch any top 14, it's sort of the scrums are a bit of a bloodbath. It's just play on the French refs just let whatever happen and a lot of the French tight ends take big angles as well so in the lead up to the test I wouldn't imagine that the French coaches have been saying to the ref ref you know uh, Wallaby's tight head takes a big angle but I don't think they would have mentioned a lot but when we go to play the All Blacks you can bet bottom dollar the All Blacks coaches in the week leading up to it will be or highlighting it and saying ref look we're making the referees aware Whereas, yeah, the French, I think they, and especially the the European sides that sort of their tight ends take angles as well. Well, they they just they just play on and just get on with it. But it's definitely more an issue yeah, when we play the All Blacks and um, scrums that like to yeah scrum straighter. But no, spot on. <laughs> good, <laughs> thank you. It's good to know that I haven't <laughs> made a complete idiot of myself. That's no. great. Um, <laughs> not a complete one right now anyway. So the last one, uh, Mitch, you wanted us to put up, and it's a really really fun moment. It is the final line out of the game um so i'll just get it up onto the screen do you want me to hit play or do you want to talk through it first what should we do yeah hit play it's not it's not so much around the line out it's actually the wallabies what they do in the 22 afterwards so um tupo puts a lot of pressure on tate mcdermott manages to get back on top of the ball and we get the, the ball 
Pause it here, Ando, and we secured the ball on the line in the opposition 22. Now, what I was really impressed with the Wallabies in this piece of plays, they set themselves up for pick and drives really, really well here. And it's not something that they were doing previously, and it's a, a bit of a bugbear of mine um, for the Australian teams in Super Rugby AU all through this year, is that they would get into a position like this and they'd hit up, they'd be one-off hit-ups, so the player would get the ball and he'd go to ground, and oftentimes he'd be isolated, and all allowed the opposition to do was to get over the top and, and pill for the ball, or they'd lose it some way. But what the Wallabies do really well and watch in the next few phases is that they always have two or three players set up um, in pod systems, but they're not they're not isolated. They're actually touching each other and holding on before they even get the ball. So move on to this next little bit, Ando. So Hooper gets the ball here. So you can see Lukan comes in with Nicerani and he's already he's standing on, on his hip. He's ready for the ball. As soon as Nicerani goes to ground, they've got two players straight over the top, secure the ball again. Now we look out, Lonigan uh, comes out to, to Bell. Tupo's coming in, setting up for the next one. There's already a player that's already on top of him, got the ball. They go straight you to ground, they clean Tupo's out. see Tupo's butt slap there saying, get on my butt, get on my butt. So he's definitely indicating what you're talking about. Mm. Can I jump in with something here? Yep. This was um, just even from the stand, something that was awesome to see. Um, so we obviously saw Darcy Swain disrupt that line out. Um, this is really focusing on how good our impact from the bench was. So obviously Darcy Swain coming off the bench disrupts the line out. It's Tupo charging down the halfback that disrupts that. Tate's the first man to the ball, retrieves the ball. The two people that clear him out and protect the ball are Angus Bell and Lockie Lonigan. So we've got our reserve front rowers who are, you know should be absolutely knackered by this point. Are the first ones there looking after it. And then the first person to take a hit up from that ruck is Issy Nasrani, number 21. So we've got number 16 through to 21 as the most pivotal players in you know what was a match-defining moment. I think that speaks volumes about how... Um, good our bench was and really how much of this test they were able to soak in and absorb from watching on the sidelines and then to create the impact and probably the one thing that you wouldn't have seen from the tv but we heard from the uh, stadium you could hear andrew Kellaway slapping his legs for the last five minutes he wanted the ball so <laughs> badly and he would have chafed uh thighs i reckon it's still now because he was just calling for it screaming for it um and you know what they ended was up doing the un- right thing because they won was he unmarked out there he was unmarked and he had yeah. a, what looked like about 30 meters of space. And, you know, as we were watching, we we're like, to get it to him, or like at least have a drop goal attempt early. But um, credit to the Wallabies, they knew what they were doing. They set up really well, um, earned a penalty because they knew they were causing pressure to that French side and uh, finished off. But I think all the credit has to go to that bench. Like that was such yeah. a masterful effort to get them so involved at the end um, and secure a win for the Wallabies. It, it didn't really look like it was going to happen uh, for large chunks of the match. Well, that actually leads us really well now into the discussion of the teams for the upcoming match and there's been a lot of questions about who should retain their place in the starting lineup or in a 23 altogether and there hasn't been any major changes so rev i'll get you to take us through this if that's okay whilst i get the everything up for us yeah absolutely so at the moment we haven't seen the french side but we will go through the wallabies um they've named just the one change but it's still the same 23 players and uh, we've got slipper and brendan pangramosa in the front row but tenny latupo gets his uh first start of the year which is great because we saw him get a few starts. I think he split um, the game time three and three with Alalatoa last year for starting. Um, so that's great. We still got Philip and Salako Loto in the locks with Valentini, Hooper, and Wilson in the back row. Gordon retains the jersey at nine, which is um, one of the interesting ones, and we'll get to. Uh, Lola Sio at 10, Corin Betty and Wright on the wings, Tamura and Paisami in the centers and Banks at fullback. The only change to the bench, if we can call it a change, is that three of the names that had asterisks next to them last week now got their first cap. So uh, Lonigan, Swain, and Galloway all got to debut. Uh, Lenny Katow at 22 still has a chance to get a call up this week. And I think he will see some minutes. 
because I think we'll be in a slightly better position this time around. Um, but I think one of the things that probably needs to be addressed, and we've had it in the comments, and I even addressed it on the Rugby Fixation pod straight after the match, I really want to see a uh, Tate McDermott and James O'Connor halves combination. And I think a lot of people have been clamoring for Tate to start at nine. But seeing the team, I'm actually really happy they've decided to stick with uh, Gordon, only for the fact that this is the combination he has uh, with Lola. So he only got one game uh, to trial that out. Um, and realistically, it was you know about 55 minutes to try that out before Tate came on. I think it makes sense to stick with this combo, and you know if, if that's who Rennie believes in, um, and that's who they picked to start seven days ago, then you may as well back that and just hope that they're a bit more accurate this time around. So looking at the team, I'll throw to you, Ando. Were you expecting more changes? And are you happy to see Tupo starting? Uh, uh, first thing I'll quickly say, I've accidentally put the wrong team list up on here, but luckily <laughs> the only thing that matters is that it's um, Alan Alatoa and Taniela Tupo swapped. So that's the only <laughs> difference. So luckily, luckily, uh, Dave Rennie has saved my blushes by keeping the majority of the, uh, well, actually all the 23 the same. Um, so I am very happy that we do not have those, um, that level of change. I was, I, my opinion is that Wallabies weren't actually that bad and even a lot of the players that people are saying were really bad weren't actually that bad and that the issues largely actually come from um just rustiness and just being the first hit out of the season and i actually think that the fact that they've had that continuity between game one and two is actually really really positive uh we will see significant change for game three because players can't um back up after such a short period of time or at least the majority of them won't be able to so I'm really happy for them to be going for continuity over chain. Um, ben, one of the things I want to throw to you, because this this always interested me is, um, I guess, part of your career. You got to play in the era where it was sort of just one prop on the bench, and it was really quite a specialty to be able to play loose and tight. And that was something that, you know, saw you play a lot of 80-minute matches because you could cover both. In the day and age now where we've got two um, reserve props and, you know, sort of specialists for loose head and tight head, how many minutes would you like to be seeing given to sort of Slipper and Tupo for this match? And then how many minutes should Bell and Alatoa have to come on and give impact? I mean, I think um, the split they did on the weekend was pretty good. So what, Tupo came on, what, 35 or 30 to go? Yeah, 50 minutes yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, so I think I think that's spot on. Thirty minutes, fifty and thirty, I think, is the good. And they'll rotate Alatoa and Tupo all year. I think. Uh, yes, uh, having Tupo off the bench, I think he can be the most destructive bench player on the planet. Um, you just thought, yeah, he made that huge break. He's chasing through at the end. He, like, and I think Alatoa played really well. <laughs> scrum really well. Was uh, got through a ton of work. Um, so yeah, I think with loose heads again. You'd maybe do both changes at the 50-minute mark, bring on, give Angus Bell a few more minutes. But I think, like you said, uh, Ando just said, if next week I think there'll be a ton of changes. So the Wallabies will either win and the series will be wrapped up. So then they'll replace everyone and give heaps of the young guys a go or they'll play terrible and they'll lose and guys will get dropped. So either way, I think um, there's going to be... They, well, yeah, there's going to be changes. And I think a lot of it's also just about managing total minutes as well. Um, yep. But, yeah, I reckon the 50-minute marks are good. If, if you really trust your bench players, get them on with – give them 20, 25 minutes. Because it takes you about five, about 10 minutes to really get into the, the – Feel the flow of a game uh, coming off the bench. You know, you're just you're a bit nervous. You know, the, everyone's gotten in the game. They've felt the flow. So it just yeah, it takes a few minutes to get into the game coming off the bench. So giving the guys plenty of time. Um, it's good. Oh, absolutely. And that segues really well. Um, Mitch, I just want to check with you. Because we were expecting a few more changes, who do you want to see um, in the third test that we haven't seen already? Who are some of the players in the rest of the squad that you'd like to, you know, get some action? Yeah, I'd love um, Lockie Swinton to get a go. Uh, Rob Valentini had a bit of a quiet game this week, and I think he'll probably step up and play a bit better th- in this second test on Tuesday. Uh, but I would love to see Val- uh, 
Swinton get a few minutes in the in the third test. Um, at uh, Sidlaki Tamani, I think we would love to see in the second row just to see what he brings back to test level. Um, and then really then we can have some combinations to debate moving into the rugby champs around who performed better in that second row because I think there's still a lot of room in that second row for players. Matt Phillip is pretty much from this performance this week has probably nailed down that position. But the second spot there, that number four jersey, still got a bit of combi- a bit of room to move. So I like to see a little bit of that as well. Yeah, awesome. I think you've touched on a lot of them. I, I mean, I still want to see a few of my Reds players. Obviously, O'Connor um <laughs> healthy at 10 Mitch, stop and clicking it, things <laughs> no I, I i wanted to i wanted a reference to that i might just throw uh, it in there as part of that so uh, okay. um as jason said uh rennie's confirmed that james o'connor is available for selection i feel like for this third test he's probably going to start take mcdermott with james o'connor and give yeah. them both a, a run together I don't think it's a smart move at this stage to put Tate McDermott in with Noel Alessio, both two inexperienced players. And I did say this last week um, in that 9 and 10 role, particularly when the series is on the line. I think the reason he's gone with the same, um, essentially the same 23 this week is to give these guys more game time together to really be able to gel. They started to to gel well on the end of that, towards the end of that game, but it, they really did take a long time to to sort of settle into that game. So I, I think that he will want to see if those combinations can actually gel a little bit better in this second test before making more decisions to come that third test. And I think that's when we'd see James O'Connor um, come in. Maybe Fraser McWright might get a run as well if he rests Hooper as well. No, I'd agree with that. Um, do we want to get into the match predictions now? I would love to. I would love to. The final thing I want to say is, um, Rev, you've been incredibly calm and considered, considering the <laughs> fact that Tate is not starting. And um, I actually needed to bring something up for uh, Green and Gold rugby stalwart Nick Wasiliev. Um, he was of the opinion that Tate should be starting. <laughs> and I just want to say that he's wrong. And the reason why that he's wrong is because, well, actually, Mitch just touched on a bunch of it anyway. So thanks, mate. I didn't even prepare you for that. Um, Um, But basically, I just think that um, there is a huge benefit to having an incredibly dynamic and explosive bench. And that's why I actually really liked Tupo coming off the bench. Benny spoke Mm -hmm. to it before that he could be the most destructive bench prop in world rugby at the moment. And I think the same, well, similarly about Tate McDermott as a bench, as a 21 within the squad. I actually think he's more suited to coming on in a final 30 minutes and running around tired defences and actually starting. Um, so I, it's not that I don't rate Tate. I actually think he's a really high quality player, but I actually think that he's better as a bench player. And uh, he still has fundamental issues with his passing. And yeah, okay, Gordon had a couple of loose passes, but Tate's pass back to Noah Lulisiu for the attempted drop goal was crap as well. So stop trying to say that Tate's performance was like perfect coming off the bench. It wasn't. It was really good. It was good, but I mean, I'm just not sure that you can take a good 20 minutes and say that he should now be starting and that his core skills are rectified um, because there are a couple of issues in terms of kicking and um, passing that he still needs and, to be working on. And one of the things that Tate McDermott's been chalked up for in getting this win was chasing down that loose ball and diving on it. And I don't necessarily think that um, Gordon wouldn't have done that. He's done. He's shown that he's got that fiery uh, get-on-ball attitude for the Waratahs for the last few years. So I think he probably would have been in the, done the same thing in the same position if he had come on with 20 minutes to go and only had a limited game time as well. Yep. That's it for me. Let's get into the predictions, eh? Love it. 
All right. So basically from here, guys, I want to hear what do you think is going to happen during the match? Who's going to win and by how much? So let's start off with you, Benny. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? How much? Wallabies by 20. I think they're really going (laughs) to... Yeah, I think they're going to click. I think the French will be pretty disheartened that they lost that. And um, I think we've probably got more improvement in us than them. I thought they played... I was really uh, surprised how well they played, actually, for a totally young side. Um, And the French don't traditionally travel well. They get homesick quite quickly. So I think, um, yeah, I think the Wallabies by 20. Okay, Wallabies by 20. Can I just add one last, sorry, one to end on your point before people wanting like Jake Gordon to get dropped straight away. When a player gets dropped so like quickly and unfairly, that creates like a bit of a, um, then the rest of the players are all on eggshells going, oh, yeah, if I can get dropped if I, you know, just have one sort of half bad game. You want players going out there, I mean, knowing they've got to perform but not being worried about getting dropped. And I think you've got to give guys, um, give them a chance. So your Gordon made a couple of mistakes, but you've got to give him another chance to go out and make amends for it. Um, if blokes aren't trying and just being lazy in defence, that's a totally different story. You drop them straight away. But if blokes are trying and they make the odd mistake, you've got to give them a chance to um, to make amends. So, um, yeah, everyone just calm the farm, calling on everyone to get dropped. <laughs> just, yeah, just- only... Yeah. Can I quickly jump in on that point as well? I think one of the biggest issues that Gordon had this game and while the, he wasn't clicking well with the back line was that at the at the base of the ruck, he'd pick the ball up and take a step or two before he offloaded. And by that point, particularly in that um, Hunter Paisami pass, the back line was already too far ahead of him. So he, he was either isolated or he um, threw a forward pass to try and get it to him. I think it's a pretty easy fix for the coaches to say, Gordon, just get to the breakdown and pass straight away. Don't take that extra step, which is what Tate was doing when he came on. Um, speed up that ball. So we've got a few days now. It'd be interesting to see if he does make those changes in his second test now that he has been given the second go. And the French were rushing up really hard off the defensive line. And I think that's why I think our, def- our attack will sort of, uh, I've identified that and I think we'll um, get outside them a few more times and maybe score some tries if, if the conditions are good. All right, Mitch, prediction. Uh, I think the Wallabies will come out and win this one. I don't think they'll do it by 20 points like Benny. I would love for them to do it by that much. I'm going to go with my prediction from last week again. I think 10 points is about where it sits well. So I think, as Benny said before, they have the combinations now. They have room to improve, uh, and it only takes one or two things for... Uh, like a flip of a coin, really. Two or three things change in that game and we've got a few more tries scored. So I think um, the rubber the green will go our way this week and we'll lock up the series. Ten points. Brilliant. Rev? Um, I actually think it's going to be similar to Ben. I think it's nearly the inverse of that 2014 series we had against France where we smashed them the first game, had a 6-0, pretty dour second match and then smashed them again in the third. I think it's going to be tight the first. It'll be tight in the, next, um, the third match when we sort of put out a few of our different players. Uh, but I think we'll win this one. Probably, I'm going to even jump it up to 25. Um, I think we saw what we needed to do to win. And I think, you know, some of those errors were, you know, just off. So I think a few of those things click this week. We see a bit more from Tamua. Um, we see Paisami get a bit more um, space, I guess, with his ball and also a bit more, um, I guess, freedom to kick it and put it in where he wants. I actually think we'll run away with it a bit. So I'll, I'll say about 25. Ooh. And is that all down to Tupo? Yeah, it's Tupo, all right? down to Tupo. Yeah, that's the Tupo yeah. effect. Now that we've got it right. starting. And I'll start running away with it as soon as. Uh... As soon as um, 
Alan comes on. Uh, yes. No, I'm not sure if Alan comes on, but McDermott gets on about 50th minute. Yeah. He'll, he'll be the one to set everything up, obviously. His combination to all the other Reds players, that, that'll be the key, I'm sure. Um, guys, I think it's going to be by 15. I think we've spoken for long enough. Um, what I wanted to do is to say a big thank you again to Benny Alexander for coming on. So, Benny, um, can you tell people where to find you if they want to learn a bit more about what you're doing and getting up to these days? Oh, there it is brought up on screen got the there you go Twitter mate i'm organized and, 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 blog, and the blog so there we go there we go and the blog's actually really good guys um what's your what's the kind of goal with what you're trying to do with that blog benny is it just a place for you to get out your thoughts and process things in an outward form or are you trying to what are you trying to do with it pretty much it it was just i i realized last year that maybe i'm not as good at communicating as i thought i was and so um yeah the uni assignment which i really struggled to get it was, I just had to write what Bitcoin was, and I, I know in my head what it was, but I was really struggling to write it down. So I just sort of been using it as a bit, bit of an exercise to um, yeah, just get better at communicating, writing my thoughts. And I think if I put it publicly, it means I've got to put a bit more effort into it and make it a bit nicer. <laughs> so I just got yeah, just if anyone needs topics for me to write about, yeah, let me know. But it is it's more just an open diary. So yeah, blog. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you again for coming on and everybody else. Uh, our next episode will be on Thursday the 15th at 8pm, available on all social media platforms. Can I say a big thank you to uh, Lincoln, Tim Foster, Alan Headwood, um, Jason Sherman, everybody who has got involved and put in your comments. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. There were so many that were coming in that we just didn't have an opportunity to get through all of them. But thank you very much. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a wonderful evening and we'll catch you later. Bye. 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 Gather wallabies.